0: We considered a message the preeminent reason for the work of Christ, namely his glory. It was from Philippians chapter 2, and we were, rem- were uh, reminded that Jesus came to earth to identify with fallen man and yet remain sinless. He was crucified as a substitutionary sacrifice so that all who believe could have their sin debt paid. And then he was gloriously exalted in his resurrection in each aspect. Of the earthly ministry of Christ brought him glory. And that was the primary reason behind why he came and had that work to begin with. If this morning had a theological focus, and it did, having to do with God and, and the reason for his work, then this evening has an anthropological focus. That is, it has to do with man. The title, that I've given to this message is the practical result of the work of Christ. What is the practical result of why he came and what he did? And that is my blessing, or you could put that in your first person and say my blessing. It's your blessing if you know the Lord. The work of Christ is called the gospel. The gospel is the good news, a good message which has been announced, and those who have received this good news experience all the blessings inherent in it. I want us to see once again how these blessings are broken down in a message, the practical result of the work of Christ and the blessings we have. if you would make your way to First Corinthians chapter fifteen verses one through four, first Corinthians fifteen Verses 1 through 4 for a Lord's Supper message about the practical result of the work of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you've received, and in which you stand. You remember, parenthetically, in preaching through the book of Acts right now, we're um, up to chapter 17, going into chapter 18, and Paul... Planted with Silas and others, planted the church at Corinth in the middle of his second missionary journey, about halfway through his missionary enterprise. And he is reminding them that I preached unto you the gospel, and you received it, and you stand right now, if you truly believed, in the gospel. That's the context. He's reflecting back. He's hearkening back to when that church was planted in Corinth, by which also you're saved, If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Paul is saying it very well could be that there are some lost among you because it wasn't genuine faith in the gospel that you uh, thought, um, maybe they thought they were believing. uh, Maybe they were uh, trying to dupe someone else. But unless you believed in vain, you're now saved. You're now standing in that. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I want to offer from this text, specifically, verses 3 and 4... Three of the greatest blessings that anyone could ever hope to have, the three greatest blessings that you'll ever have, that I will ever have as a follower of Christ. And the first we see in the end of verse three when it says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Folks, the death of Christ paid the penalty. For the damnation uh, because of my sin. Because I was a lost sinner. I was damned. I was doomed. I was condemned. And what he did on the cross... Paid that penalty because sin condemns, it damns the soul, and it puts the sinner in an infinite debt situation. Um, My debt was infinite. If if I would have spent all eternity in hell, uh, if I would have done anything that God would have asked me to do, it would have taken an eternity to have worked off that debt. And the hurrier I went and the more I spent doing it, um, the debt would not have been liquidated at all. A payment. A an acceptable payment, a satisfactory payment, had to be made, and that payment is death. For Romans 3:23 says, or Romans 6:23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And so death had to be paid. Ezekiel 18:4. The soul that sins shall die. And so Either you were going to pay that debt or someone else was going to pay that debt. And I'm so thankful that, uh, that by virtue of you being able to be forgiven and the penalty for my sin uh, being paid, God was not light on sin. He didn't all of a sudden um, uh, have some kind of a, a sympathetic, as it were, a feeling. Well, they didn't mean to do it or anything like that. No, not at all. The fiery arrow of wrath came, uh, came flying out of heaven, as it were, and Jesus stepped right in between you. And the wrath of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? That is a glorious theological truth that I was damned because of my sin, but his death paid that. He stood in the way. He stepped over across the line, as it were, and received the entire weight of the wrath and the penalty that I deserved and that you did as well. Jesus on the cross didn't just faint or feel ill. He didn't have a bad day. He actually and literally and physically died because the only absolute and ultimate payment for the damnation of sin is death. And that goes way back in the Garden of Eden. You'll remember when Adam and Eve fell that uh, in the ruin of the human race, death, the curse of death was pronounced upon them. The first death. And then later in the book of Revelation, it talks about the second death for those Who are unforgiven and will one day experience the second death. Think about this. What's man's deadliest foe? Well, it's death, but ultimately it's eternal death and separation from God. Man's deadliest foe was confronted head-on by man's dearest friend. Can you have a greater friend than what the Lord Jesus has done for you when you ought to have have, have, uh, agonized and been tortured for all eternity with his wrath uh, uh, just pressing in on you? The God-man took your place. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, he my savior makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. What a glorious thought that he paid the penalty that I deserve. The issue in the death of Christ had to do with him bearing sin. You see, he became sin. 2 Corinthians 5:21 is very clear on that. He who know, knew no sin became sin for us. He he took upon himself sin. He bore that on the cross. He became sin's penalty in a personified way. The holiness of God must reject sin. Hence the Father forsook The son on the cross. I can't understand that, but I know scripture teaches it and theologically it's it's congruent. And what a price that had to be paid. Notice in verse three at the end, he died for our sins. According to the scriptures, you see, that was a fulfillment, a prophecy. Psalm 22 uh, and verse one records that wrenching question. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, it, it speaks on that. And then two verses later in verse three of Psalm 22, the answer is given. And the reason why he was forsaken, because verse three says, thou art holy. God, you are holy and you cannot accept and tolerate sin and evil in your presence. And the God-man became sin for us. And I didn't finish that verse. So that, and here's the practical result. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Are you hidden in Christ? Are you found in him this evening? If so, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Galatians 3.13 says Christ hath redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. First Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So he became a curse for us. He himself became a cursed, um, not victim because he went willingly, but sacrifice and an acceptable one, his death. Not taking him by surprise, but had been prophesied. Jesus even told the men on uh, in um, uh, Luke twenty four twenty seven uh, in the in the road to Emmaus. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And what did he say? That it behooved Christ, that is, it was good for him to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The prophecy was given that the seed of the woman would be afflicted. Satan, the serpent, would nip his heel before the seed of the woman would crush his head. The death of Christ paid the penalty for the sin which damned me. What a blessing. Secondly. In verse 4, the first part of verse 4, is the burial of Christ. And folks, we leave out the burial of Christ in the gospel presentation and we talk about it. The burial of Christ is critically important. If it were not, it would not be included here when it says, hey, I'm declaring unto you the gospel. This is the good news. And the burial is one third of the importance, at least in the text here, of what took place. And what's the significance of the burial of Christ? It paints the picture of the destruction of my sin. That is, it is removed. It's an illustration that sin has been removed. It's been paid for. The debt has been paid for. And the, uh, the ruin of that sin bearer is evident. Now, let's take that and put it out of God's sight. Let's remove it. Let's take it out of the way. And so when Christ was put in the tomb, it was picturing the removal of sin. That penalty has been paid from God's presence. Never to need to be paid again. When he was put in the tomb, it was similar to this scapegoat. Which I love that illustration in Leviticus 16 verses 21 and 22. Listen to the words. It says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send it away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon it all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited And he shall let go of the goat in the wilderness. And so the goat by himself is alone and he is released into the wilderness. He is to take that sin away and to take it out of God's presence. He carries it away. And the Lord Jesus in his death and being alone in the tube destroyed the power that sin has. The burial of Christ was proof that God meant business. And God did business with sin. You think about other illustrations, the destruction through the flood in Noah's day and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day pictured the anger God had regarding sin. Folks, Psalm 7 and verse 11, and let's get this in our hearts and let's remember it and understand it as we approach folks in in our community and in our family, in our neighborhood. God is angry with the wicked every day. Jonathan Edwards uses the illustration in his uh, 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 sermon, the, great, uh, the most famous sermon of all time. Preached over 250 years ago. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. How that uh, a, a lost sinner is being held over uh, uh, the uh, pit of hell, as it were. And the flames are, are flashing all in, And he's being held by a thin, a thin thread. And the flames are flashing all about that thread. Ready in a moment to just sever it in half. And that person to plunge. For an eternity in hell. God is angry with the sinner every day. But he put that anger out of his sight. In the lives of those who have received the gospel. Through the burial of Christ. And so through the Lord Jesus. God puts sin out of his sight by killing it and burying it. The burial of Christ was a fulfillment of a typical prophecy of, as well, a type of Christ, namely in Matthew 12 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The burial of Christ pictured the fact that God had destroyed sin by judging his own beloved Son. What a price! What a statement! What a blessing! For all who have received him. Thirdly, not only are we blessed with the death of Christ because it took care of the penalty, the burial of Christ pictured that 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 penalty has been removed, but the resurrection of Christ provided the power for dominion. That is, I now have the capacity to live above that, to resist temptation, and to not be uh, smothered by it. The end of verse four it says, And that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. The resurrection of Christ shouts that there is victory over death. There's victory over the grave. And yes, there is victory over the dominion of sin now. That's what Philippians 3 in verse 10 says. That uh, I may know him. That is, know him practically. Know him experientially. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. um, And what is it to know the power of his resurrection? It's to know power over sin's dominion. It's to say and to recognize that I don't have to yield to temptation. I'm not required to sin. My nature is no longer that. I've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I yet live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the power, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, one of the blessings of the work of Christ is that I have power over temptation. The hymn says, death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. in Acts 2 and verse 24, and speaking of Jesus, says, whom God hath raised, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Folks, it is is um, not possible that you uh, must sin. Now, let me put that in. in Those were uh, two negatives. Let me say it uh, the other way around. It is possible for you to have victory over temptation, for you to right now in your practical walk to to have victory in the area of temptation. Romans 6 and verse 5 and 6 says, for if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, that is through baptism, we shall be also in the likeness of, Of his resurrection. What likeness? Practical power over sin. I don't have to sin. His power resides within me. Therefore, I can walk and I can live in that power. We've been crucified with him. Our old nature has been buried. We have new life in him. Do you know him? Have you received these blessings, the practical benefit, if you will, of the work of Christ? And if you have, are you following him with all your heart? Are you serious about your walk with Christ? And if not, why not? And if not, when will you be? And, and, and uh, the best I know, in fact, you are serious about that and you are genuine. And so when we come to the Lord's table... Right now, you are able in your heart to receive the elements um, from a heart which says, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm remembering you. I'm remembering your work. I do want to remind you that the, the bread and the juice are just that, they're pictures, they're symbols of who Christ is, what he has done. The bread representing his body. It's a picture, it's a symbol. The juice representing his shed blood. And receiving this, we are remembering back To what he has done. If you are a believer, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you're a child of God, you're invited to participate. If you're walking with the Lord, if you're serious about your walk with him. Parents, I would encourage you to oversee the distribution of the elements to your children, and uh, as we receive this, do so remembering the practical results of his work, the blessing that you've received. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done for us. Thankful for your word.